Well, now we turn to this morning's scripture reading. Today we continue the sermon series that we started last week, a sermon series we're calling The House of the Lord. Throughout this sermon series, we're hearing the story of all of those places that God has called home, the places where God was willing to dwell in order to be close to us. And this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Exodus for our scripture reading, and we're going to hear a voice that will be familiar to some of you who have been around Court Street United Methodist Church, the the voice of a pastor who once called Court Street home. Sharing with us this morning's scripture reading is Reverend Weatherly Burkhead Verhelst, who was a pastor here at Court Street United Methodist Church back from 1994 to 1998. Listen for the voice of God as Pastor Weatherly shares with us this morning's scripture reading. Good morning, Court Street friends. I am glad to share with you this reading from Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to take from me an offering. From all whose hearts prompt them to give, you shall receive the offering for me. This is the offering that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple and crimson yarns and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skin, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and gems to be set in the ephod and for the breastplate, and and have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. In accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, a few weeks back, when the weather started getting cooler, I came down with a bad case of cabin fever. I decided to go up north for a couple days. When I need to take a deep breath and reconnect with God, one of my favorite ways to do that is to find a lonely stretch of beach along the shores of Lake Superior, to put my feet in the water and spend a day or two looking for Lake Superior agates. One of my favorite places to go when I want to find Lake Superior agates is a a place called the Mouth of the Two-Hearted River. And one of the reasons I like the Mouth of the Two-Hearted River so much is that it is way out in the middle of nowhere. The last hour of the drive to the mouth of the Two-Hearted River is just a bunch of dirt road and sandy tracks winding through the wilderness. And because it's so far out there to get to the mouth of the Two-Hearted River, there's hardly ever anybody around. It's always easy to find an empty stretch of beach that you can have all to yourself. And so a few weeks back, I threw my camping gear in the car and headed north to the UP. I was particularly excited on this trip to try out a new tent that I just got. I say a new tent, it wasn't really new. It's a secondhand tent that I got a really good deal on. Somebody was willing to sell it for awfully cheap. It was a little one-person hiking tent that I was excited to try out. And so I drove up to the UP, I crossed the bridge, I drove down those dirt roads and sandy tracks, and finally I arrived at the campground for the mouth of the Two-Hearted River. And that was when I discovered that just about half of the people in Michigan had exactly the same idea I had that week. 
When I got to the campground, it looked like just about half of the people in the state of Michigan were there. About half of the people in the state of Michigan all at once looked at the thermometer and said, you know, before it gets really cold, maybe we ought to go out and spend one last weekend at the mouth of the Two-Hearted River. I've never had any trouble finding a campsite out there before, but the campground was absolutely packed. I drove around and around and around the campground looking for an open campsite. Finally, I had to admit defeat. Every campsite was taken. And then I had to make a decision. I could drive to the next nearest campground, which was about an hour, an hour and a half away, and it was probably just as packed as this one was. Or... I could spend the night in the parking lot sleeping in my car. Now, you probably can guess which of those options I decided on. I decided to spend the night sleeping in my car. And if you've ever tried to spend the night sleeping in a car, then you know what a miserable night that was. It turns out it's not easy to sleep in the front seat of a car. David Lindsay will be able to tell you that. You might remember a few weeks back, our friends at Family Promise of Genesee County challenged us to spend a night without a bed in order to raise awareness of homelessness in our community. Now that night when many of us were sleeping on sofas or on the floor, David Lindsay decided to go the extra mile. He chose to spend that night sleeping in his car to, to find a sense of solidarity with people who have no other place to sleep, no other place to live but their car. And that night, David will tell you that he discovered what I discovered way up there in that parking lot in the Upper Peninsula, which is that it's not easy to sleep in the front seat of a car. I spent that whole night shifting and wiggling and trying to find a comfortable position. Do you put your head on the headrest? Do you lean it on the window? Do you put your feet down low? Do you prop them up on the dashboard? Sleeping in a car isn't easy, and it's especially not easy when you're a side sleeper like I am. And so I hardly got any sleep at all that night. That night I discovered that there's not much worse than spending the night in your car. But the sun came up the next morning and I had a great time putting my feet in the water and looking for agates all day long. And later on in the day I noticed that somebody had abandoned one of the campsites and so I hauled out that little tent and I set it up. I inflated my, my little air mattress. I unrolled my sleeping bag. And when the sun went down and I was ready to call it a day, I was excited to crawl into that little tent for the first time and stretch out. It felt so good to stretch out after being cramped in that car for the previous night. It felt so good to be able to point my toes and to wiggle without having to run into the, the window crank or into the armrests of the seat. I stretched out in my sleeping bag there in that little tent and I closed my eyes and I got ready to drift off to sleep and that's when it started raining. I don't mean just a little bit of rain. I mean the heavens let loose with a torrential downpour. And that's when I discovered why I got such a good deal on that little secondhand tent. When it started raining outside the tent, it also started raining inside the tent. Now, at first it was just a little drip, drip, drip down by my toes. And I said, well, that's not too terrible. And I moved my feet so that my toes weren't getting dripped on anymore. But then it was a drip, drip, drip right down on my nose. And that was worse. 
And then it started drip, drip, dripping in a dozen different places. And I found that I was contorting myself and twisting, trying to find a position that I could lie in where I wasn't getting dripped on. And it kept drip, drip, dripping on into the tent. And then the water started seeping into the bottom of the tent until finally I was floating on my air mattress like Noah in the ark. And at some point in the middle of the night, I finally made a decision. I grabbed my sleeping bag and I made a mad dash through the pouring rain and I hopped back into my car. That night I discovered that there are some things in this world that are worse even than sleeping in the front seat of a car. Sometimes sleeping in a secondhand tent is even worse than sleeping in the front seat of a car. Spending the night in a secondhand tent can be a, a miserable experience. And that's what makes this morning's scripture reading so interesting, so amazing. In today's scripture reading, we continue a story that we started last week. This week, we're continuing our sermon series that we're calling The House of the Lord. All throughout this sermon series, we're hearing about different places that God has called home. Last week, we started the story at the very beginning. Last week, we took a look at the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we heard the story of how God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, And God placed them in the Garden of Eden. God lived with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But then Adam and Eve betrayed God. And when they betrayed God, when they committed the very first sin, their guilt and their shame and their fear was so intense and overwhelming that God sent them away from the Garden of Eden for their own well-being and their own protection. But even as Adam and Eve were walking out the door, God already was planning when and where and how God would dwell amongst human beings again. As we follow the story through all the rest of that first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, God speaks to people. And sometimes God even comes to visit people like Abraham and Sarah. But we don't find God making the next really big move until the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. As we pick up the story in the very beginning of the book of Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, are living in slavery in the land of Egypt. And God's people cry out to God. And God hears their cries. And God decides to save them. God decides to set them free. And so God speaks to a man named Moses. God calls Moses to be a prophet and a leader. And together, God and Moses lead the Israelites out of slavery in the land of Egypt. God and Moses lead the Israelites out into the wilderness. And then God says to Moses and the Israelites, we have got a long journey ahead of us. I am going to lead you. I'm going to take you to a place that you can call your very own. But before we do that, before we take that journey, God says, there's something we've got to do. And so God leads the people to a mountain. God leads the people to a place in the wilderness called Mount Sinai. And as the Israelites are setting up camp at the bottom of the mountain, as they're setting up their tents and unrolling their sleeping bags, suddenly God appears in glory on the top of the mountain. Suddenly a thick cloud starts to roll around the top of the mountain so that it's hidden from people's view. And then lightning begins to flash all around the mountain. And then the Israelites hear the sound of a mighty heavenly trumpet and then a pillar of fire pours out of the heavens down upon the top of the mountain until the whole top of the mountain is aflame and a column of smoke rises back up to heaven from the top of the mountain. And there at the bottom of the mountain, the Israelites tremble in fear and awe because they know that God is near. 
And the Israelites look at Moses and they say, Moses, you go up there. You go up to the top of the mountain. You talk to God. You bring back messages from God for us. But please, whatever you do, tell God that we don't want to talk to God face to face. We're afraid that if we heard God's voice, we're afraid that if we saw God's face, we're afraid that if we experienced God in all of God's glory, we wouldn't be able to survive that encounter. And so on behalf of all the Israelites, Moses began to make his way up to the top of the mountain. And when he arrives at the top of the mountain, Moses is given the most extraordinary vision. When he enters the cloud and the smoke and the fire at the top of the mountain, Moses is allowed to see into the very throne room of God. Moses has a vision of God seated upon God's heavenly throne, seated in a palace made all of sparkling, dazzling sapphires. Moses is overwhelmed by the power and the beauty of what he is allowed to see there on the top of the mountain. And then as Moses is looking upon God, seated upon the throne in the heavenly throne room, God speaks to Moses. And God says the very last thing that Moses is expecting to hear. God says, Moses, make me a tent. I want to go camping. As a matter of fact, God says, Moses, write this down. And then God starts giving Moses all of these instructions on how to construct a tent. God says, Moses, I want you to, to collect an offering from all of the Israelites. Collect their, their gold and their silver and their yarn and their fabric and their leather. And then I want you to use all of those things, use their secondhand materials to make me a tent. And it's clear from the instructions that God gives to Moses that this is not going to be an ordinary tent. It's clear that this is going to be a a remarkable tent, an impressive sort of a tent. But still, anybody who's ever spent the night in a tent knows that a tent is a tent is a tent. And what God asks Moses to make is very much just a tent. Now, somebody in Israel has made a model. Somebody has made a reproduction of the tent that God asked Moses to make there on the top of the mountain. Here's what the tent looks like. Here's what the model looks like. And you can see that even though it's a fairly elaborate setup, it really is just a tent. Now the Bible calls this tent the tabernacle, but that's really just a fancy Latin word that means tent. And God asks Moses and the Israelites to build the tent, and they build the tent, and then God comes and dwells in the tent. God lives in the tent for more than 400 years. And the obvious question is, why? Why does a God who lives in a palace made all of sapphires choose to come and live in what is really, in the end of the day, just a more or less ordinary tent? A tent that over the course of 400 years must have sprung a leak or two. A tent that over the course of 400 years must have got that musty smell that all tents eventually get. Why does God choose to leave the heavenly throne, leave the heavenly palace, leave the heavens entirely? and dwell among the Israelites for so many centuries in a tent? And of course, the answer is obvious, right? To be with us. God wants to be with the Israelites. God wants to be among the Israelites. God knows that the Israelites have got a difficult journey ahead of them. And God knows that there will be moments when they feel like giving up. 
There will be moments when they feel like turning back. There will be so many moments when they say, Moses, why can't we just go back to the way that things were? Why can't we turn this train around and just head back to the land of Egypt? It was so much easier when we lived in slavery in the land of Egypt. And God wants to walk beside the Israelites. God wants to be with them in those moments so that God can comfort them and encourage them and give them the faith they need to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But God knows that God cannot dwell among the Israelites in all of God's glory. God knows that if God tries to walk beside the Israelites with lightning and thunder and smoke and fire and blazing trumpets from heaven, that a bunch of people who are already really scared are going to be even more afraid. And God doesn't want to be a terrifying presence among the Israelites. God wants to be a comforting presence, an encouraging presence. And so God says, in order to be among my people, I am going to humble myself. I'm going to make myself small, small enough that I can live in an ordinary secondhand tent. I love this story. In this story, we discover the depth of God's love for us. In this story, we discover that God's love for us is so deep and so powerful that God is willing to become small and humble. God is willing to inhabit and dwell in small and humble things and small and humble places in order to be with us. And once we know that about God, once we understand that about God, we begin to see that all creation is filled with tabernacles. All creation is filled with small in humble places that are saturated, soaked in the presence of God. And God chooses to dwell in church buildings, like the Court Street United Methodist Church, like the Lake Fenton United Methodist Church. Even when those buildings spring a leak and the plaster begins to crumble, God is there. God chooses to live in houses, in apartments, God even chooses to live in cars with people who have no other place to call home. God dwells in the waters of baptism. God dwells in the bread and the cup of communion. God is even willing to dwell in a tiny plastic container filled with prepackaged gluten-free bread and grape juice if that's what it takes in order to be close to us. All creation is filled with tabernacles. All around us, we can find God's presence in small and humble things, in small and humble ways, if only we know where to look. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your presence among us. We give you thanks for coming to us in ways that we can see speaking to us in ways that we can hear without being overwhelmed, without being so afraid that we turn away from you. God, thank you for coming to us over and over again in humility and gentleness and love. God, we pray that you would do that again today. Come to us in glimpses of faces through car windows. Come to us through phone calls on a Sunday afternoon. Come to us in the bread. Come to us in the grape juice. Come to us in the food that we put on the tables for our families and our loved ones today. Come to us over and over again until finally 
we are ready to receive you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.